0: opening credit cards and not utilizing them responsibly, which is essentially spending more than you make. And it's so normal for people to do that nowadays, unless you are intentionally and consciously making sure that you're spending less money than you're bringing in, you can very easily fall into a pretty hard financial position.
1: Are you ready to tap in to your power within so that your business can reach its truest potential? Hi, I'm Candace Haza, and I help business entrepreneurs access their inner GPS so that their business can grow and thrive. You are here to serve and to create an impact in this world. Welcome to the Intuitive Business Podcast. Welcome everybody to the Intuitive Business Podcast. And today I have a really special guest who's also a friend of mine, Christina Deal. Christina deal is a first time author after feeling compelled to educate young women about what they need to know to get their financial lives started off on the right foot after years of being a realtor and seeing firsthand the pitfalls that people fall into financially she decided to take matters into her own hands regarding financial education for youth and for people nowadays. This is a great subject. Welcome, Christina D'All. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we're mutual friends and acquaintances through an organization called Polka Dot Powerhouse. And one of the things I've always admired about Christina is her self-assuredness, her confidence, especially regarding her finances in life. Like there's an air of confidence that she walks with and in. And I just believe it's because she's financially free in a lot of ways because of the decisions that she made. So pay attention everybody, because she's going to teach us how to be more financially free in our lives. So welcome.
0: Thank you. I didn't know that you looked at me that way. So that's a really cool thing to hear.
1: (laughs) I don't think that I'm unique and looking at you like this. I think a lot of women do because um, some of the reasons, of course, we all have our mission in life, but while we're supporting our mission, it is great to be able to put your head down at night, have your roof over your head, have groceries, be able to support your children or family in the way that you see fit and that you want to spoil them maybe. And it's nice to be able to do that. And I see you doing that in life. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about how you before we talk about the book, let's talk about how you developed a financial strategy that has sustained you. And she's one of my younger friends too. So, you know, she's done this uh, at an earlier age in life. So she has a lot of freedom to live the life that she has. So a lot of people, I believe, look at her like that. So tell us how you got started with this whole real estate deal and financial freedom.
0: I was very fortunate to have had, you know, a family, especially a father that started talking to me about money at a very young age, you know, probably even before I was 10 years old, I think around the time that I was 10, it really started to click of little lessons, like don't spend more than you make. It sounds kind of obvious, but unless, unless you are told that specifically, especially as a kid, um, I think it's really easy for people to fall into habits of, you know, opening credit cards and not utilizing them responsibly, which is essentially spending more than you make. And it's so normal for people to do that nowadays, unless you are intentionally and consciously making sure that you're spending less money than you're bringing in, you can very easily fall into, you know, a uh, pretty hard financial positions. I think I just took that very seriously from the time that I got my first job. I was like, okay, well, I have to Track everything that I make and everything that I spend, because how else am I going to know if I'm spending more than I make or spending less than I make? So yeah, started off by creating a spreadsheet to make sure that I was keeping my finances in check, and I still use that to this day. So I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons that that people can can learn is just if you haven't already been doing that, like making sure that you're telling your money what to do and where to go that that it's it's never too late to start and the sooner you start the better
1: i want to put a pause there because you said something that i really believe in and i think it's really strong i don't even know if you said it it's good to train your money where to go did you, did you all Absolutely. hear that i believe in the intuitive business and in that money is energy. And so what Christina has been doing is training her money that, Hey, I respect you. I'm not going to spend more than I make. And I'm going to keep track of where you're going. So can you tell us a little bit about like how, what your systems are? Like, I, I know, like I look, mm-hmm. I use QuickBooks and guess what? I'm never going to be good about tracking my money. I have some learning challenges. So the very first thing I did in my business is I hired somebody that literally puts everything into Quicken. And now I meet with that company once a month to look at my finances, because I truly believe that that is an energy piece that's missing in businesses.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the simplest ways to make sure that you're telling your money what it's going to do for you is to pay yourself first and what that means is set money aside even before you are before you pay your bills before whatever else you might you know want or need to use your money for you're putting money into savings that is either an emergency fund or saving for a future investment or preferably both you know definitely putting money aside first and if you find that when you're putting money aside you don't have enough left over for, you know, your cable bill or something that, you know, you might need to make some decisions about, like, you know, for this, you know, time in my life, I'm going to cut some expenses out so that I can be paying myself first and setting myself up for a stronger financial future where I can, you know, maybe afford more luxuries. I sacrificed a lot of things in my life early on, you know, I didn't have cable for the longest time. I don't spend money on things like things that don't really matter in the long run because those things really add up and can take away from you, you know, providing, growing your wealth and providing for your own financial freedom.
1: I'm very guilty of going into like home goods and that, that Tuesday Mm -hmm. mornings and having like three or $400 of retail therapy. And the truth of the matter is I just also purchased a bed that was like $8,000, I don't have the best back. And so it was a huge expense for me. And I was able to get zero financing, which isn't her philosophy because it was, but the thing of it is I could have either paid for it or taken that bed and paid zero interest for 12 months. But those small payments get me an $8,000 bed in 12 months and they're small Hmm. payments. So that retail therapy, I'm spending it Tuesday mornings (laughs) and home goods shopping, literally can put eight to $10,000 away for you in a year pretty quickly.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's another aspect of like being intentional with your money and making sure it's doing what you're telling it to do. So often you hear that trope of like, Oh, I wanted to stop into target to get, you know, a bottle of shampoo. And then $300 later, I don't even know what I bought. And I, or I accidentally spent that money and it wasn't intentional. And, and you, you get into the habit of that and eventually, yeah, your money's going to tell you what you can and can't do rather than you, you know, giving it a purpose. Um, Ooh, you just here. said
1: something. I never heard anybody say that before. You said instead of your money telling you what to do, but like it's limits. You can right? do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like if you get to, you know, the end of your pay period, you know, and, 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 you only have $10 left. Your money is going to tell you what you can afford for dinner. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's going to make decisions for you. It's going to tell you what your options are. And that's a very small scale example, but on larger scales, it shows you what your options are. So unless you're being intentional and telling it what to do on a consistent basis, then you can be like, Hey money, we're going on a vacation. You know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I like that. Hey money, we're going on vacation. So Mm -hmm. let's go back. So, so far, what we've talked about is your father has really established this belief system that you can be strong and powerful with your money and that you are responsible for your money. So then you grew Mm -hmm. up and then you start looking at real estate. So tell us the journey.
0: Sure. So I knew my father was also a landlord. So I had decided when I was, you know, very young that I never wanted to rent my home. And then I also, I wanted to be able to you know buy a property as soon as possible. So like when I'm ready to move out of my parents' house, I wanted to have a home to live in and I didn't want to rent it. So that meant I have to start saving to be able to buy it. And then on top of that, I realized like, I'd also like to be the person who owns several properties and, you know, provide safe housing to tenants that would rather just be renters And then, you know, in exchange for me providing housing to them, they're paying for my mortgage essentially to buy the house with usually a rate of return on top of that. So so I had started working towards those goals. I would say, you know, from the time that I was 10 on, I was like saving money. I never wanted to spend money. And then even when I started looking at, you know, attending college in my head, I was like, well, if I take out student loans, I'm not going to be able to afford buying a house you know, with that, with those monthly student loan payments, how am I going to get a mortgage to buy a house? So I made that intentional decision that I was going to work my way through college to not be burdened by that student debt after I graduated. So there was little steps along the way that set me up to, you know, then go on to purchase my first house, which I intentionally bought something very inexpensive and in a location that I could very easily turn into a rental someday with the thought process in my mind being that, I would live there for a few years while I saved up money to then buy a property that I actually really loved and wanted to live in. It was kind of like a sacrifice at that time, not buying my dream home, just buying a home, you know. And then so that's how it got started. You know, eventually I turned that first one into a rental, bought another property for me to live in and just continued saving money or using equity in my property to buy other, you know, two units and four units and other rental properties.
1: Wow, that is so cool. And then you said you also have a rate of return. Do you have a standard rate of return? So, here's me. I am I'm a real estate investor as well, and it just I just love to hear powerful women and that they're thinking rate of return. So, what do you <laughs> like to see for your rate of return on your properties?
0: So, it really varies. I don't have a specific number in mind. I evaluate each opportunity individually, because it may be that, hey, this one is already in a really good area. It's already in really good condition. I'm not going to get as good of a return on it, but I'm going to have a really cool piece of property that I'm not going to have to worry about for a while. Mm -hmm. Or there might be other ones where the rate of return is astronomical, but I know that I'm going to have to be fixing it up in a couple of years. I know I might have some problems with tenants that I'm going to have to deal with. And I think it's good to diversify your portfolio and have a couple of each, like A class properties and maybe C class properties. And the rate of returns are going to be different on each one of them. And I like to say, it's just kind of whatever number you're comfortable with. Like I don't crunch all these calculations and whatnot. I'm just like, okay, so I'm going to spend this much and I'm going to get this much. Am I cool with that? Yes. And then I I move forward. Wow.
1: So I love how she thinks through these properties and and it's literally brilliant and it is a skill set. She does make it sound easy, but there is a lot evaluate and your eyes have to be good. I don't want to make this sound easy because, you know, I've been doing this for about 16 years and, you know, that beautiful tenant that you thought you had in that destroys the property (laughs) that, you know, there's things that do happen like that, or that they get into financial challenges themselves. There's a reason why they're renters and tenants. And then, you know, so it's a process. So I don't want to make it sound easy. This is, there's a lot of strategies in what she's talking about. However, do you hear her mindset? It's very powerful. It's very strong. So then the pandemic happened, you've been acquiring properties. You've been pretty much, would it be fair to say you're pretty financially free? Like when the pandemic Mm happens, you probably didn't crawl into a ball or anything because yeah,
0: And you know what? It was, it was actually really neat for me. It was a moment of realization. And I even had some friends reaching out because, because, you know, I, when people assume or think that my income is entirely through buying and selling real estate and the real estate industry got completely shut down in Pennsylvania. And so people were like, are you okay? Like, what are you going to, and I'm like, actually, yeah, I'm fine. I still, I have passive income, you know, that's still, that's still coming. And it kind of made me sit and reflect, like, this is what I've been building towards, you know? Like I up until then it was like I knew I wanted to acquire, you know, more and more passive income and be responsible with my money and things like that. And when my world got shut down, when the world got shut down, but I'm saying my real estate world got shut down and my, you know, earning potential in that regard was taken away for a few months, it made me realize like this is what I have been working towards. And so I think that's important for people to realize even if you're like you know what? I I have some, you know, a partner that I live with and we, with dual income, we don't have to worry about finances and we're already set up. I'm a trust fund, whatever it may be. Like you might think like, Oh, I, why should I work towards this? You might not know the why yet, but when you, when you're, you know, approached with it and you realize like, Oh, this, I'm glad I did this, you know, then, um, you're going to be glad you did. <laughs> wow. That I, sense? I,
1: that's beautiful. I'll never forget going to it was a Tony Robbins wealth mastery. And I was trying to make a decision. It was about 20 years ago. Like, where do I want to learn how to invest my money? Like the stock was very exciting for me, but there was a lot of strategy. And I heard Keith Cunningham say on the stage, he's like, he has a Southern accent. He's like, look, y'all, he said, go and pay your house off. And then do a business. And if you fail, you sit there on your couch, scratching your head under your roof saying, well, where'd I F up? (laughs) Like, you know, Mm -hmm. and then go from there. And for some reason that felt so comforting to think that Mm -hmm. if your house is paid and you have a roof over your head, that you really can make any decisions moving forward, like with your business, with your life, as long as you're safe. And of course I would probably put, my house in an LLC if I was doing
0: business. Right. So I think people just assume, you know, you get a 30 year mortgage and then they're like, I'm just going to take 30 years to pay off my mortgage. People think like, oh, you're always going to have a housing expense. It's just normal. It's just what everybody does. And we need to shift that mindset because no, you should be trying to get out of that debt ASAP. And then you can, yeah, if something goes wrong, you don't have to worry about making that mortgage payment every month anymore.
1: Oh yeah, I think my girlfriend and I bought a property, and um, we share it. And she and I started our real estate investment um, together. And she just said to me the other day, "We're only twenty-seven thousand. We're like in year eleven or twelve, and we're." And she said, "We're only twenty-seven thousand dollars away from paying, and we have a healthy budget." And do you think that we can put another $500 in a principal? And then what we can do after that is we're going to go to either a Mercedes or a BMW store. And we're actually going to buy the car that we really want and keep it, you know, like not keep investing in a lease or another car. And that's what our big, Mm -hmm. you know, extravagant expense is going to be. Now we still are going to have money for the the house and to save for roofs, windows, etc. But that's like our one treat that we've been working on for 12 years. And so, you know, I drive whatever car, you know, makes sense to me, but I really would like a Mercedes or I really would like a Mercedes, but we're going to do a two for one (laughs) and see if we can negotiate a two for one deal. So,
0: Oh man, I hope so.
1: Right. So then the pandoodle happened. You were sitting there, people were calling you. You really realized that you had built something that was quite strong. And Mm -hmm. then you were sitting there and I bumped, I'll never forget. I bumped into you when the world started opening back up at Polka Dot Powerhouse. No, I'm sorry, it was Martini Mondays. (laughs) Let's be real. It was Martini (laughs) Mondays, lemon drop or mart or chocolate martini for me. So, and she said, "I, I had just finished my book, and you were like, Oh, wow. I really want to get my book finished. I'm like, what's it about? And you're like teaching young girls about finance. And I'm like, Oh my God, please finish that book. You know, I wish that I had read that when I was a young girl, instead of starting much later about learning about money. So tell us what was sitting in your heart at that time.
0: What you just said, that's the whole point you saying, I wish I had 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 something like that to read when I was young what got my, um, my passion just like, you know, about educating young women really going was hearing so many people in like their thirties saying, Oh, I wish I knew like, they, it's like they wake up 20 years later when, they, after they should have learned this stuff, which I don't blame them for not knowing. Cause no one's teaching it, but you know, it, it was always people like in their thirties being like, Oh man, all of a sudden I realize I have to dig myself out of these, you know, pitfalls that I've, that I've got myself into unknowingly, I have to dig myself out of those first before I can even start building wealth. And so I would, you know, be advising people and helping people on how to best do that. And at the same time, thinking to myself, I'm tired of hearing the wish I knew, and I need to start back at the 17 year olds so that they never wake up 20 years from now saying, I wish I knew they, they'll already know, you know, we will have already gotten their juices flowing with this information and conversations started about it. So that was really my heart that I was like, I want to change future generations by making sure that no one can ever say, I wish I knew.
1: So uh, just in this moment, I want to introduce a little bit more about Christina's book, because here's the thing, moms, if you're listening, dads, if you're listening, this is a really nice way to begin a conversation with your children, to let them meet somebody like Christina that has, that has these strong belief systems. So tell us about what content or what was the overarching themes in your book? Because you're sitting there and you're probably thinking I'm talking to a 17 year old. Tell me what they needed to know and how you formulated that into a beautiful book.
0: The favorite feedback that I get is parents coming up to me and saying, thank you so much. This opened up dialogue with my kid. Like it's not even like the 17 year olds. Like I love their feedback too. But when parents are saying it's opening up conversations, I wouldn't have known how to do this otherwise. Like that just makes me so happy. It's my favorite thing to hear. For one, I hope that the story throughout my book, just kind of like sh- talking about the journey that I was on with money and wh- how, where I'm at now, how I got there will just be inspirational to show women like you have options and this can be done. And, um, and you can do it on your own. You don't have to wait for a partner. Like just the, the inspirational aspect of it, I hope gets people excited about talking about money. And then there's just the, the very basic common sense financial, I guess, education of things like don't spend more than you make, be intentional with your money, consider, you know, the implications of going into student debt. Is it going to pay off or should you maybe figure out a way to not have to utilize debt to get an education things like that. But I think it's, it's just very basic common sense, easily digestible for middle schoolers, high schoolers, information about money to get them just to start thinking and not just spending.
1: Yes. And you know, one of the things I noticed, so I'm a lot older than Christina. What was the first age that you Mm -hmm. acquired a
0: property? Right after I graduated from college, I was 23, which was actually, it was later than I wanted to buy my first house but but i you know what for getting real i i was dating a guy for a couple of years that i thought i was going to marry and i was like well i'll just keep living at home for a little bit because i don't want to buy a house on my own because we'll buy a house together when we get married and obviously we didn't end up getting married so the day after we broke up i called a realtor and i said i need to find a house and so that's also something else that i talk about in my book of like because i've seen this as a realtor too i've seen young women come to me and be like hey i want to buy a house and then be like oh my parents said i shouldn't until um i buy a house with you know a guy or or whoever i marry and and it like broke my heart so i'm like i've been through that i wasted two years not buying a house because i thought that my life was going to turn out a certain way it just goes to show you never know what's going to happen so mm-hmm. just make that investment on your own And then if you do end up, you know, having a partner in life, then maybe you have two properties between the two of you and that gives you more options, but to just, to believe that old trope that you should wait until you're married or whatever it is that, you know, old fashioned people say, I think it does, it does young women a disservice because they absolutely can go buy homes on their own.
1: I do want to speak to what Christina's saying, because this is really, really important information. This, you can't do it on your own as a woman. I remember my daughter was 18 years old and my husband and I were going through a separation that was looking at going into divorce. And I, and she was 18 and we had saved our whole lives for our college education, but that money was on his side. And he had no obligation to pay for college. Now he did, and he was a good man about it. I don't want to say that that didn't go well, but I sat in a situation that my daughter was accepted to university her entire life, her father and I had saved. I knew the money was there, but it was put into his name mm-hmm. by his choice. So what ended up happening is when we were going through this transition at the same time she was graduating. I promised her that I would pay for her college her whole life. As long as she got accepted, we would pay. Didn't matter where she gets accepted. She's packing to go. And I don't know that he's going to pay. So (laughs) I panic and I go to get a loan. Now, remember I am, my daughter was 18. I had her when I was like, so I'm like in my probably late thirties, early forties. And guess what? nobody will give me a loan. I have my master's degree. I have a house and I couldn't get a loan because my income was below my husband's. No. And I could not get a more than a $7,000 loan. Now I'm saying this and it's full disclosure. Cause like Christina said, we're getting real. I would never want my child, my children to ever have been put in that horrible situation to be packing up and going to sleep at night, crying, thinking, Oh my God, I don't know if her dad's going to pay now he did, but Mm -hmm. that's a horrible
0: position. And And I
1: put myself in that, not realizing that, you know, this wait and see, go buy your house, ladies, Mm -hmm. buy it in your name Mm -hmm. with your credit. You have good credit if you're young and then keep your credit good. So don't ever get yourself in a situation like I did making a promise to my daughter that I never thought I wasn't going to be able to keep. And I did keep it and her father kept it, but it was a horrible feeling. And like Christina said, she was able to sit there and scratch her head (laughs) on her couch under her roof when the pandemic hit. (laughs) So tell me some more impact that this has made for young people, has anybody reached out to you as a young person and said, Hey, I have a question or, Hey, this is what's happened since I read your book.
0: Yeah. Not as much. Like I kind of said earlier, um, parents have reached out and even one person told me they, they opened up IRAs for their teenage children because of my book. And I was like, Oh, that's like the best thing you can do. (laughs) So I was so happy uh, to hear that. And yes, I guess I have had some young people reach out and just, and want to either set up a Zoom or a coffee just to kind of dig a little bit deeper into what they should be thinking about money. And um, I love that. What I've been focusing on lately is trying to find more and more opportunities to speak in front of that age group, like middle school, high school. Just this past Sunday, I had the opportunity to speak at a youth group at a church in New York that was that exact age group it was 6th through 12th grade and um while i think i noticed that i think some of the people in the crowd didn't really get it or didn't really care there were maybe a handful of people that came up to me after um right after i spoke that night and just said man i've been thinking about this lately this timing was amazing like thank you so much i have so much more to think about and you know i want to read your book now and stuff like that so um so I haven't had many opportunities to speak at, in front of that age group. I'm working on, you know, getting more. But I feel like as I get more and more of those, I'll have more and more conversations with people of that age.
1: You know, and um, I'm saying this on the podcast uh, so that other people may hear this. But I was just listening to a speaking uh, how to do a speaking gamut, and one of the things that they invited us to do, and I'm going to invite you to do this is I worked at Millersville for many years, and of course, FM's right bias and women's week, um, they need speakers. And so like any women's week, I I used to plan that at the university and we always looked for female speakers, empowerment speakers. And this would be a beautiful topic because you're talking about student debt. You're talking about credit cards. You're talking about looking at their future. Mm -hmm. Um, If you could give, if you could be in this moment standing in front of a group of these college-aged or 17, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: 18-year-old or 20-year-old people, what is the first thing, first piece of advice that you would give them?
0: So there's so many things, but the first thing that popped into my head when you were asking that question was about credit cards. And because I know so often new, new people to a college campus, you know, you're bombarded with everyone trying to give you a free hat or whatever to get you to sign up for a credit card. And so I think I would want to tell this story. And I I talk about this story in my book about, um, a lady that during college, you know, opened up a credit card before she knew it had racked up $10,000 in credit card debt and really just wasn't even paying attention to what was going on the card and this is this happens to so many people i'm not saying anything against this person because it's easy to do that's why credit card companies make a lot of money they know that people will just use it blindly without even you know paying attention and so then this person was like okay i have to pay this off and was you know putting payments every month towards trying to pay it down and was noticing that like the balance was not even going down because the interest alone every month was taking up the majority of the payment that she was able to put towards the credit card bill. So what ended up happening was her grandfather had the means to, to pay off the credit card debt and then over time have her pay a fixed amount without the interest, just pay him back the $10,000, but without interest. So it was obviously, it was, it was the monthly payments were going towards the actual principal being paid down. And so there's two things I think that people can take from that story. And one is just how easy it is to get yourself into trouble if you're not paying attention to what you're putting on your credit card. I think the best practice and what I've always done is just paying your credit card off entirely every month, not using it as you know money that you'll just pay back later, but using it as more of just convenience. So that you're, you know, make sure that you're not putting anything on it, that you don't have money to pay off paid all off by the end of the month. So that, but then also setting yourself up to be able to be that person that can help someone else get out of that trouble. You know what I mean? If he hadn't put himself into a good financial position to be able to be like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to pay off that 10,000 for you. And you pay me back when you can, she'd, pro- she might still be in that debt. So it takes time and effort to get yourself into a position where you can help other people. And I think that's one of the biggest whys of, Mm. you know, why we need to work towards being financially smart and also free. Financially smart
1: and financially free. And we are talking to the queen of both and (laughs) she's very humble about this too. I just want to share that any last parting words, something that you really, really wanted to share that I might have not asked that you think that's important to Kind of finish the conversation.
0: I want people to know that I genuinely, and I think you know this about me, Candace, I genuinely love talking about this topic. And I love when people reach out to me and ask just, you know, questions or opinions or advice from experience and things like that. And so whether, you know, whether you're a stranger or not, I love, I love to make sure that people understand that if they're like, Hey, should I invest in this? Or, Hey, what can I do to get out of this? Like, I, I just love talking about this type of thing. Mm. So,
1: and you know what, this is, this is a, this is a subject that really, I think needs a lot of attention. The one Mm -hmm. thing I was going to say in high school, Um, we learned something like this. We wrote checks back then, you know, you sat and wrote checks, you learned how to balance your checkbook. And there were all these like common sense things that you learned. And I'll never forget my son. I thought he had a pretty good education. (laughs) He brought his Mac card to me and he goes, I really don't understand like what to do with this. And I was like 16 or 17, you know, they hadn't, there was no education around that. I was like, oh, okay. So here we go. And so Mm -hmm. then we talked more about it. But I think that Christina is needed in high schools. Um, If you're listening to this, and you know, the speaker that's needed, I think that she would be a perfect fit. So invite her. Speaking of inviting her, how would people, we're going to put in the show notes, how okay. to get in contact. Let us know a way to either get in contact with you. Uh, okay. Tell us the title of your book so that we could get it on Amazon. I have oh, yeah sitting over here. Yeah. I know I bought it the day that I saw you at the polka dot powerhouse. It was your launch day. And yes. I just, I knew how important
0: it was to buy the book right away. So I was like, Ding. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. It's called money girl and it's on Amazon. All one word money girl. And, um, that's probably the best place to buy it, but there's also my, my author website is com. You can buy it through there and you can also contact me through there. And also my, you know, my real estate handle is Lancaster home girl. Cause Lancaster is the city I live in and home and I'm a girl. And so anyway, so, um, Lancaster is a good way to reach out, but I'm also on all the social media as as Lancaster Homegirl. So.
1: Oh, excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast today and to thank the listeners as well. I hope that you learned something and here's to your financial freedom and your financial success. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I hope that you feel more connected to your power within and that you take action from the guidance here today. For more information, please head to Haza, where you will find more resources to help you and your business grow to the next level.